morning, and welcome to episode 64 of the Jaguar Report podcast. My name is Gus Logue, joined by my co-host, John Shipley. Are we at 64, or did you knock out 64 last week? We're at 65. 65? Yeah. 65. We're at 65 episodes. The Steelers might hit 65 offensive points by week 18. We're, we're both <laughs> looking good. We're looking good. You got to switch the tracker to from Patriots to Steelers now? <laughs> to, to Kenny Pickett. He doesn't get credit for Mitch Trubisky's touchdown. Okay, that's fair. Not, not not at all. I'm, no, I'm, I'm doing good. Nice Monday morning here in Jacksonville. I got cool uh, gifts from my dad to reflect my college football season. So growing up, my family was big FSU fans. I was a big FSU fan until I had to pay thousands of dollars to UCF to go to school there. So obviously UCF fan now. But they just got whipped in front of Shaquille O'Neal for some reason. At homecoming. So when they're good, my dad got me. Yeah, UCF. Nice. But for this year, oh, yeah. The- oh! <laughs> the reveal. The reveal. Yeah. I haven't, che- I haven't cheered for FSU in like a decade. <laughs> what you- I totally thought you were going to like put something up in your other hand. That was that was a pretty good reveal. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. The two-face of, two of tumblers. <laughs> One of the faces is good at football this year. Um, you, so you rotate the cup a little bit based on the results every weekend. I've only drank from the FSU side so far. If I drink from the UCF one, I might choke. So <laughs> there you go. All right. This is what Gus Malzahn has done to me. But <laughs> you have a you have a good weekend though. I know you had a, a little of a transition, but that all went well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, we uh, you know went ahead and moved. Not going to dox myself, obviously, but good weekend. <laughs> Good weekend. Uh, weekend. First, first uh, game day covering it in the in the new crib. Mm. It was a good weekend. Good move. Nice. nice. Yes, I was in Athens, Georgia this weekend, missing the world's largest cocktail party because my uncle was getting married, and he's from near Athens, and so he and his fiance wanted to do the wedding in Athens, like the only time they really could, which is Florida, Georgia. I was going to uh, say, you know, the game was in Jacksonville, right? Yeah. So like, <laughs> The, <laughs> the wedding was great, but I was, like, trying to watch the game, like, on my phone, driving back, for, like, through rural Georgia. So, like, I really only caught bits and pieces. So, you're going to have to put the team on your back a little bit like you did on the last pod. But the wedding was great. Uh, the worst part was that I was surrounded by a bunch of Bulldogs fans, and they were doing a bunch of barking. So, that was, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Ruff, ruff. They, the best song was "You Make Me Want to Shout," so that's like that's on my list. Is like yeah. I'm going to weddings and be like, "This is what I would do, and this is what I wouldn't do." But that was like the one song I was like, "I throw that on the playlist." So <laughs> yeah, that was my weekend takeaways, pretty much. But uh, we can go ahead and get into the game. Uh, start with offense versus defense. Jaguars twenty ten win over the the Fighting Yinzers. It was dude. That- <laughs> much of a fight for them. Not, really. not even like the fan base, but like the team in general. Like I saw Chris Boswell tweet a picture of that weird like yellow line that they've been tweeting on the field goal where they're offsides. And I'm like, they lost by 10 points. It wasn't a game-winning field goal. <laughs> One team had six penalties and the other team had six penalties. Yeah. It was, penalties were missed on both sides, but yeah. Starting with the Jaguars' offense, I'll say it. They were mostly good. <laughs> like, 
20 points, I know, against yeah. a – the Steelers' defense isn't bad per se. It's not like the Steelers' defense of old, but it's still a top-10 defense in terms of, like, EPA and stuff. But obviously 20 points isn't what people were expecting. But, I mean, Trevor Lawrence had almost 10 yards per, per attempt. Like it, it, he had five completions of 26 yards or more for a team that literally has not had an explosive passing game all season. Mm-hmm. They had it with relative ease. They were marching up and down the field on the Steelers' defense. It's just they continue to have the dumbest turnovers <laughs> in the NFL every single week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, did you see the Evan Ingram fumble? Yeah, like I don't, I don't even know who to blame for that. Okay, so Ingram, I think uh, not. Not think like it was Ingram, like. Maybe not even blame. It was a great defensive play by Quan Alexander. You know, guy's head on the football, exactly how you teach it. However, Stephen A., <laughs> I had mo- – like, so I went on Twitter. I said right after, I was like, woof, that's a really bad call. And I got absolutely slaughtered for it. <laughs> like, people people were irate. And multiple people were like, well, if he didn't fumble, it's like a five- or six-yard gain. And I'm like, no, if he got hit like at yeah, the line scrimmage. <laughs> yeah, so you know how how the fumble happened? <laughs> yeah, so it's a completely wasted play. Even if he doesn't fumble, it's right. If he doesn't fumble, I guarantee you, people are saying, you know, why do they call a stupid play like that on first down? My stance on it is, up to that point, the offense was moving with, like I said, relative ease. You know, they had already kicked two field goals by getting past midfield. It was first and down at 18. Ingram had been killing them for the most part on crossing routes. And Lawrence was really efficient. ETN wasn't popping off a lot of long runs yet, but I feel like that part of the red zone at like 20 to 10 range is where he's been best this year. Mm-hmm. Just run a normal play. <laughs> just, like, it, And the fumble wasn't because of the conditions or anything like that. It's just my stance is the offense is already flowing well. What's the point of that play? Because to me, a shovel pass works in certain situations. I see it more as like short yardage play. First and ten from the eighteen. I don't. I don't get the point of calling it there. I. I. I don't. I just like to play devil's advocate. Like I'm. I'm like with you on this point, but just like for from the stance of Press Taylor, I guess. Like I think yeah. they just like like to use like almost trick plays in the high red zone just to help sure. them get into the low red zone, like. We saw against the Colts, like, some kind of trick plays worked well because they had a tight end screen to Brenton Strange that went down to the one-yard line. And then they had, like, the Wildcat run with ETN that obviously scored on, like, the first player that drive. So, like, I think that they like trying to, like, get a little bit tricky around, like, from, like, the 15 to the 25-yard line um, just because, like, obviously that's, like, the area of the field, like, where things start to get condensed and where it starts getting harder to really score points. And so – like I'm, I'm with you. Where like, like it wasn't a good play call, and like, I mean, well, you're moving downfield, like you said. So like, just run a normal play. But what, like, what was the hope that the defense would part for 18 yards and he could just go down yeah, like down the middle? Like a specific play call. Like I don't, I don't really have any like anything to like support that. I'm just saying like they like running like somewhat of trick plays in the high red zone. So yeah, like, no, kind of sort of get the play call. Yeah, and I, I get that, and I'll. I'll say this with saying, I thought otherwise. I thought Press had a really good game. Mm-hmm. Like guys were getting open, other than one play on third down, which I thought was a screw up 
which they later fixed the next drive by running it on third down. They left T.J. Watt and Anton Harrison on an island on third down and knocked them out of field goal range. Yeah, take away those, take away those two plays, and I thought Press had a great game. So it, it, it's funny you say you disagree with one call, and suddenly, oh, you said the offensive coordinator sucks every play and stuff like that. Like no. No, that's not uh, how it works. The the TJ Watt sack definitely to me was like, what like what are we pl- calling here? Is like a true drop back where it's like ETN was like kind of open on a shallow crosser that like maybe Lawrence should have hit him immediately rather than taking a sack. And you can like give a little bit of a credit to the quarterback because like we have talked in the past about how sacks are a quarterback stat. So yeah. I think a little bit goes on Lawrence, but like I'm totally with you. Where it's like it's yeah. third down, you're already in field goal range. Like, don't have Anton go one on one against yeah. TJ Watt to get you out of field goal range. If ETN had ran into the back of Luke Fortner for a gain of zero, they it would have been fine. <laughs> like, like, just in that specific situation, all game. Like you come, you're comfortable with him making a 50 yarder, but then like they got moved back, and then Logan Cook had a punt into the end zone. Yeah, at that yeah. point, Steelers only down seven, I think. So like. Yeah, medically they could have gone inside the game. So, yeah, those there was like one play call in each half. I guess that was a little bit brutal, but really that was it. And then from Lawrence, like the the Engram <laughs> the Engram turn, red zone turnover. I guess you're blaming me on press, but then the like you can't blame the interception on anyone but Trevor. Like, did you think he was like, trying to throw the ball away, maybe, or was it just like, the worst? I saw, ever? I saw people blame it on press. <laughs> 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 it was – he made, in my opinion, like two of maybe his five best throws of the entire season that game mm-hmm. and also made the worst throw I think he will ever see. It was like, I don't think he was he's made since last year in London against the Broncos when he threw yeah. that like, terrible red zone interception yeah. to Justin Simmons. And he had another similar one to Derek Stingley like earlier last season. So like, it's not great that those red zone picks have come back. But at the same time, like it's only one. And like after that Broncos red zone interception, like Lawrence was the best quarterback in the league, not named Patrick Mahomes for that point on. So maybe we'll see something similar. Yeah, no, it those are definitely like the 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 three musketeers of terrible Lawrence like plays like you think of like the worst plays of his career to me those are the three that come up mm-hmm. I think this one was worse because on the other two on all of them like like we've said before he's got some Josh Allen to him people don't people don't think so but he's got some you know YOLO I don't give up to him and yeah like every every play is live or die situation yeah and I think he thinks that he can fit the ball into any window so on the Broncos and Texans interceptions, I think it was partly him thinking that and partly him just not acknowledging the defender nearby, not seeing them. Mm-hmm. On this one, he basically stared at the dude and threw it to him. I, I don't think he was trying to throw it away. I thought he thought he could fit it through that window, which is, is crazy. But yeah. young quarterback, I thought he would have those kind of plays out of his system by now. But, I mean, I don't know. You still see Patrick Mahomes make stupid interceptions now and then maybe – you never really get him fully out of your system. But I thought otherwise, Gus, it was one of his best games of the year. He was nine for nine on third down, five completions of 26 yards or more. He did, I thought, a good job of mitigating pressure, a good job of using his legs. I, Other than the one play, I thought he made good decisions on pretty much every other drop back that throw the Ridley 
in between two defenders to get them into the red zone. I believe like two. It was funny. I tweeted after that third at Ridley. It was like two plays for the interception. I was like, Trevor Lawrence is having a crazy game. And because my game, my like when I watch at home, I'm delayed by like 10 seconds. And pretty much like immediately after I sent that tweet, he throws an interception. <laughs> I'm like, nice job, dumbass. <laughs> It's just, I, I did it with the Tank Bigsby fumble too. I said the Jaguars are the Jaguars are spreading the carries around more right now, and then like two seconds later, Tank Bigsby fumbles. Yeah, and that ended up only being because Etienne like went out with an ankle injury, and then obviously he came back later in the game. But I was like, oh wow, like a couple of Tank plays in a row, and then like Darren is getting involved, and and then like later I realized, oh like Etienne had gotten injured, and that was why, and then. <laughs> Obviously, Tank fumbles the ball and they don't go back to him again. It, it, okay, my hot take. You ready? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Dearest Johnson's probably running back number two. Yeah. It's 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 probably time. It, I was going to ask, like, from a, a trade deadline perspective, like, maybe we can get more into this later at the end of the pod, but, like, like, it is, like, running back, like, a feasible option at the trade deadline or, like, they're just going to move up the earnest and the with anything? Yeah, I, I think they would move up the earnest. And then they still have hasty, you know. like Right. Yeah, so, I, I – like, so the tank fumble, on one hand, in my opinion, it wasn't a fumble. Like, he was down. Yeah. The refs, the refs obviously, I think they ruled him down originally and then they changed it, ruled it a fumble – I believe it was the ref who Mike Tomlin completely ripped it, ripped into. Mike Tomlin was about <laughs> in that ref. But on the other hand, if you just – if you don't fumble the ball, like, at all, like, even if it's not a fumble, if you don't lose control of it, you don't give them that opportunity to make that judgment call. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I believe that is what the coaches would say. And, like, it, it just – they clearly didn't have – trust and tank going into the game because like you said he only went in when etn got hurt and then he didn't get another touch after the fumble and he, he didn't look bad at first you know he had a nice little nine yard run and then mm-hmm. it's just on an offense that's already killing itself with turnovers you can't afford to put somebody on the field that's having ball security issues and it's unfortunate because i feel like with a back like tank he needs to be on the field and get carries to kind of get momentum going. Like it's just, in my opinion, it's so hard as a running back to make an impact. If you're touching the ball three or four times a game, like you need to get into the flow of the game. You need to wear down the defense some, but I don't blame them. I don't, I, I don't think they trust tank. I don't think you can after that play. And I think it's probably time to make De'Aaron Johnson, the number two running back and start giving him some carries. Cause I do think they're riding like ETN had 14 carries in the first half. There were games he started last year where he didn't hit 14 carries. Yeah. <laughs> do you think he like looks a little bit slower or a little bit off once he came back from the injury, like in the second half, I thought maybe he didn't like necessarily lose a step, but I thought he was at least like making sure he kind of like got down to the ground a little safer. Maybe that was also a little bit of like protecting a lead too, but I I also thought guys were slipping a good bit. I thought even before he got hurt, there were a couple of plays where he tried to do his moves and he just like lost. Like it felt like there were like four or five different plays where it feels like normally he would bust it for a long game, but you know yeah. he, he he didn't. So I mean, overall, I thought it was an encouraging performance from the offense. Like to me, 
a bad offense is one that can't move the ball. You know, like and Jaguars fans have seen that over and over again. Like the 2018 bad offense, you know, 2020 bad offense, 2021 bad offense. Like an offense that's moving the ball efficiently and then just does stupid mind-numbingly <laughs> mistakes and turns the ball over to me isn't a bad offense. Now they might be a dumb offense. <laughs> you know, like they're a very mistake prone offense, but I believe it's easier for an offense to turn it around when they have to fix turnovers as opposed to when they have to figure out like like the Steelers, for example, they can't even move the ball. That's a bad offense. Yeah. You know, like there there was a very clear difference between the Jaguars offense and the Steelers offense yesterday. Totally. So to me, I thought it's crazy to say after you turn it over three times, I was encouraged by the offensive performance. I was too. I like my game prediction was 34 to 10. And like yeah. I kind of feel vindicated by that because like no. It, it, <laughs> I no. know I know it's a stretch. I'll just let me just let me <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Hypothetically, if they had scored two touchdowns in the red zone instead of those two turnovers, then I would have nailed the score prediction. And what was your score prediction? You were you were actually closer than me. 20, 2016. There you go. So yeah, I'm with you. Like it's been like the same since like the Texans and the Chiefs game where it's like they're shooting themselves in the foot and it's ugly, but it's like these are mistakes that can like actually feasibly get uh, corrected. Like I'm glad you brought up the Steelers because like, yeah, it's a pretty good comparison for like what a bad offense actually looks like. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, you're right. You're right to your credit. They should have scored. Like they left – I wrote it down. I believe it was like between 9 to 21 points on the board. Like, if, if they had just kicked field goals in those times that they turned it over, they would have scored nine points. And then, obviously, counting a touchdown. So, they, they left a considerable number of points on the board. To me, Jaguar Steelers, and it's in the rain. It was always going to be a, a slop vest. Slop yeah, vest. it was in the rain, too. Like, yeah, the fact that they put up 20 in the rain with two red zone turnovers, like, against T.J. Watt with, like, your rookie right tackle. Uh, it was pretty good. And then also, like, I saw that you wrote a lot about, uh, like, the impact of Zay Jones being out last week, like, leading up to the game. Like, I feel like, uh, like, A, I'm confident in the offense because of what we just said, where, like, the mistakes are, like, probably easily fixable or more easy to fix than other things would be. But also, like, they've had two massive or just very key injuries on offense in Zay Jones and then Walker Little. And so I think, like, you can expect both to be back uh, in week 10 after the bye. And, like, I'm interested to see kind of their effect on the offense and how they kind of just make everything go smoother. Yeah, no, 100%. And I'll give credit to you. I called you a madman when you said Calvin Ridley week, when you sent me over your, your picks. I called you a madman. I said it wouldn't happen. I was emphatic about it, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I've been, like, on the Rid- Ridley weeks. If you, like, if if he hadn't had any drops, then, like, I would have been, like, 7 for 7 or 8 for 8 or whatever. Yeah, he, he would have had, he would have had like, what, 100 yards without the one drop probably. Right, so. Or I meant, like, drops earlier in the season. Yeah. Right, well, so, you, you've picked him eight weeks in a row, so. <laughs> Stop. You kind of cover your bases there. <laughs> It's been close to that. <laughs> I'm going to have somebody go back and check the film. We could go back and check my best bets column for Big Cat because I'm like been all over the place with that. Like I'm uh, 
definitely sub 500. I think it's pretty much totally because of like how much I've said like Ridley over, and then you'll like have a dropped third yard pass that would have cashed it. But I went four and one in Steelers week, so doing a little better. Fair enough. Fair enough. I also thought like it was interesting that like this was the first game basically without Zay Jones that the Jaguars passing game has looked I thought also that good so maybe starting to figure things out a little bit while not having him in the lineup obviously you hope he returns sometime after the bye but I think it's clear at this point that who knows when that's going to happen you know I overall though I thought it was encouraging performance from the team from the offense, I I thought that, you know, obviously some things, you know, the turnovers specifically need to change. But against this specific offense, I, I thought it was encouraging. So I, I I got a good bulky ball for you. You ready? Sure. Okay. Which player made more of an impact? All right. Okay. The one – with half a sack and one quarterback hit or the one with a full sack and two quarterback hits and a hold holding call drawn holding call drawn did one of these players also have an offsides penalty against them one of them was a number one overall pick and was better than the 114 million dollar man so Trent Balky spent the number one pick on a better more okay, not better. More impactful defender than TJ Watt. So I'll I'll, I'll give you that. Tra- so so just to clarify, Trayvon finished the game with two quarterback hits and a half sack. No, or, a full sack. Well, yeah, two quarterback but, hits and a full sack. That's, that's the bulky ball. The Steelers are paying all this money for half sacks. Bulky is playing the economic game and using <laughs> a rookie contract to get full sacks. The economic game. Yeah, you you hate data. You hate data. I hate data when you present it. <laughs> as far as I know, one is greater than half, and two is greater than one, and he's also cheaper. Hmm. You got bulky ball, and if, if if you take away the logos and the names, I'm just saying. All did, right, did, well, did, 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 I, I'm excited to look at the draft. TJ Watt plus at number one overall. That, I guess that's my question. <laughs> It's just funny because like Josh Allen was talking earlier in the week of like how like TJ Watt is like that guy on defense and that's who he's trying to become. So, but now yeah. I'll listen to your stats instead. He's a he's a nice little player. <laughs> he's got some upside. There's no NFL player with more sacks than Watt entered the league when he entered the league in 2017. Okay. But yeah, he's okay. From week eight this year moving forward, Trayvon Walker has more sacks. <laughs> All right, and quarterback hits. Yeah, you got master five penalties. Okay, okay, he made <laughs> that was ridiculous though. Come on, come on, <laughs> he jumps farther than like if Olympic athletes when like it's their sport to jump, it, whatever that's called. If the Yinzers weren't in the ref's pockets, TJ Watt would have got called for a face mask. So, mm-hmm. I present you weekly with unbiased torn down data and you spit in my face each time regardless you got bulky ball <laughs> all right let's do some ads let's get okay. to that okay <laughs> <laughs> that's all we got for offense right now we'll be right back after this break
I guess. The Jaguars' defense led by Josh Allen and TJ Watt plus. I, it was exactly the game I thought it would be. Like Kenny Pickett threw it 16 times and had seven, 76 like yards passing, but you take in his sacks and he had 68 yards on 17 dropbacks. He was terrible. He he's a brutal brutal quarterback. Yeah. Like he just is the first play of the game. Like you got Deontay Johnson wide open over the middle of the field like one of Matt Canada's few good play calls <laughs> and like just misses him over the top and like I guess technically it hit Deontay's hands so maybe he should have caught it but like from that point on it was kind of over. But they started out with four straight three and outs. That's crazy. They they didn't get their first first down until like five minutes into the second quarter. And so, and so their first four drives were 12 plays for nine yards. Let's see. They, the Steelers ran the ball 18 times for 70 yards. They averaged 3.9 yards a carry. That's with Pickett having a 10-yard scramble in there. So I, was know, say, I think Najee was like seven for 13. He was yeah. with a long, with a longer three. <laughs> <laughs> to me, is like the most NPC running back in the NFL. Like if if I didn't know he was on their team after the game, I would have had no idea who he was. And he he was picked before ETN. That that was my one draft like hot running back take that cycle. I was like. I don't, I don't, I don't see it with Najee, man. Yeah, it's like, like every once in a while, like draft people will like get obsessed with running backs who like break a zillion tackles. Like I remember everyone being like in love with Javante Williams when he was coming out of North Carolina, but it's like, yeah, they break a lot of tackles and that's really cool, but like they just don't have like the speed to really get away at the NFL level. Like maybe Javante had a little bit more, but then he got injured in the NFL. But like Najee is just like never really been fast enough. I, I'm going to lose in fantasy this week because Javante had a good fantasy game. He got caught a touchdown. But when they were icing the game away and it was obvious they were running, he lost like nine or ten yards <laughs> on tackles for losses. I'm no. like, stop giving him the damn ball, dude. <laughs> that's, that's, did you lose like in fantasy by a point? Or that just well, didn't help your case? No, it didn't help my case. I'm, I'm doing some mental gymnastic, gymnastics here. No, okay, I, I, I had Gus Edwards and his three touchdowns on my bench. But not, nonetheless, I I thought like a perfect example of what this Jaguars defense is, is that first half drive where the Steelers got a field goal right after Lawrence interception. You know, they started at their own two. They moved the ball all the way down the field. But it was – it was dinking and dunking, like not in traditional sense where you're just throwing it like five yards over the middle, but everything was like an out route to the sideline, literally everything. And the Jaguars have shown like they're okay with giving that up, you know, like they, they were perfectly fine with it. And then once they got to the red zone, the Jaguars defense tightened significantly. I thought it was a great example of, you know, what the Jaguars defense is. Like, I, I know fans want to shut out every game, but in the NFL, you're literally basically guaranteed a touchdown, like at the start of a game, just because it's the NFL. So it it, it was funny, and I know it's because it was a close game, and the Jaguars have struggled to put away opponents. But when the Steelers scored that one touchdown, which literally only happened because of the zany Mitch Trubisky play on third down, where Smoot didn't get the sack and he threw it late and over the middle, and then. George Pickens, like, 
I don't know. It was like a yakety sacks play where he like hurdles Andrew Wingard and Andrew Wingard's tackle made Buster Brown miss the tackle. Mm-hmm. It, it was just funny that a team scores one, <laughs> one touchdown and the, you know, the sky is falling. And yeah. it, it, it just shows how much the Jaguars have hurt people <laughs> over the years. Like just because you give up a touchdown doesn't mean your defense is like, they were fantastic yesterday. Fantastic. Especially considering, like, you mentioned Monterey Brown and Winger. Like, they were in for Andre Sisco and Tyson Campbell, who's, like, definitely two of the five most important Jaguars defenders. And, like, Sisco has been, like, playing like an all-pro. And Tyson has been playing, like, maybe not as good as he was last year, but, like, still really well. And so it was very important, especially when you consider, like, the drop-off from him to Buster. But... Like, yeah, that pick and play was, like, the only big one. And I feel like part of the reason that, like, the Steelers could drive downfield with, like, all those, like, short outs a lot was, like, because of, like, the cornerbacks that the Jags were playing with. Like, Darius has obviously been insanely good this season. But, like, if there's a route he's going to give up, it's, like, a short five-yard out. And then, like, same for Buster Brown, especially when, like, you don't want to give up deep stuff to Deontay Johnson and more so George Pickens. Like, five-yard out is a five-yard out. Yeah, and – that that's another thing. I thought Darius Williams had another crazy game. Like he did did you catch the yeah, did you catch the pass breakup he had in I want to say it was like the first quarter where they went deep to Pickens and he was like outstretched and just barely got it. That might be a house call if he doesn't do that. Like that might that that's like a game deciding play right there. And then he had like two near interceptions. I really thought he intercepted Trubisky at the end of the game. <laughs> it, was, right. it was hilarious. Brandon McManus was right there, and you see him going crazy. And then Darius turns over. He goes, <laughs> "You gotta sell it, dude. You gotta sell it." The ref's right there. It's even better because Trey Herndon dropped a pick like earlier in the game, and then Darius was the one that was right behind him. Or wasn't it later in the game? No, it was like second drive of the game. But what do you mean, drop the pick? That was a. That was a third down pass breakup by uh, Lockdown Trey. What are you? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, it was right in the bread basket. I was just going to tell you it was funny because, like, on that play, Darius Williams is like the player behind the guy who dropped the pick, and Darius Williams is like, "Let's go!" Oh no, <laughs> I'm the uh, I'm the Trey Herndon guy on the beat in the media yeah. room. Big Trey Herndon fan. So every time he makes a good play, I look down on you guys. And every I I can't t- I got like five or six different texts after that play and again I'm on a delay so I'm I got a tweet at me I got text from me and I'm like what the hell did he just do yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all the play I was like e. yeah that, I, that one was a walk in too yeah no that I I'm curious about if anybody tracks dropped interceptions by a defense, because the Jaguars, Devin Lloyd dropped another one. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they that's, that's, that's at least three between Lloyd they, and Williams. I feel like Williams might have even had a second. Yeah, no. Darius had two. Yeah. Lloyd had one and Herndon yeah. had another. So they, and then they also intercepted him, the Steelers, twice. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's six. And like, I, I literally had some Steelers fan after Trevor's interception tweet at me. It was like, that's what you get for talking about picket little guy. And for one, <laughs> I'm anything but little. <laughs> be, call me large, man. Be, be accurate. I, 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 I have not been a little guy since I was like two weeks old. But 
I'm like, I, I, I keep hoping football fans will understand it, and they probably won't because most fans are. But just because you don't have an interception on the box score does not mean that you're playing safe football. Like, interceptable passes are a thing. Like, we're seeing it with Brock Purdy. He's had one of the league's highest turnover-worthy play rates all season long. Yeah. Because nobody was catching his interceptions. It leads to Peter King being rewriting the weirdest column you'll ever see. And now teams are catching weird. You know, you, you keep throwing the ball directly at the face of defenders. Eventually, it comes back to bite you. Interesting. Now he looks like the pumpkin that most rational people knew he was. And nothing's changed. It's just defenses are catching the dang ball. You know, like it's it's a very sustainable metric. So the Jaguars have done a good job of like forcing turnover worthy plays. And obviously they're doing a good job of turning turnovers. They have 18 through eight games. Antonio Johnson picked off Mitch Trubisky on the Hail Mary at the end oh, of the game. Oh, it was game. on the Hail Mary because I was going to say I, I missed that play. And then, like, I was, like, looking back later. I was like, Antonio Johnson had an interception. Last play of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I was going back and watch it. He, he, like, feel, it was like he was feeling a punt. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. was, it like, was it, like, a short throw and he had to, like, run up to it? Or did it make it to the end zone? Oh, nowhere near the end zone. Uh-huh. Yeah, nowhere near the end zone. All right, I'll definitely go back and watch it, it, it was good, but I I I, I think the defense is an, an awesome place, you know, like right now. And and then that we didn't even talk about, you know, obviously Allen and the guy who clears TJ Watt from week eight moving forward in the present. I thought it was an encouraging game by Walker. So I tweeted that out, and somebody was like, "How is it encouraging? All he did was bull rush. Only this time it worked." I'm like, "That—that—that's why it was encouraging. It finally worked. <laughs> like we've seen him go against bad right tackles before and get nothing. But that sack he had on the first drive was like that was the play that all the narratives him as a prospect people said he would make when they were like, "Oh, he's such a physical and athletic freak that he'll just bowl over people." That was the play they were talking about. You know, yeah. like he, he literally just set that right tackle right into Kenny Pickett's lap. Mm-hmm. And obviously to John Hold, the offsides, the most <laughs> the most impactful <laughs> play of the game. That's like why I'm bringing it up. It's so funny. I, I think he might lead the NFL in offsides since he was gets <laughs> one game. I feel like I, I don't think this one was on a third down, but like it feels like a lot of his past offsides have always been on like critical downs too. It, so, not to make light of it, but on his offsides, they let the play keep going, and the Steelers starting left tackle catch. <laughs> so, in a way, made things easier. Come on, come on, come on. Let me <laughs> let me sell it. Let me sell it. So well, now, only because you're bringing up another guy's injury. It's you can't do that. What do you mean? I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying that in the grand scheme of things, the offsides didn't hurt them. I guess. He's fine. He's fine. It, it was wow. funny that no. the Steelers, the Steelers, terrible offensive line. They lose a starter, and they're like, "Okay, who are we gonna put in?" Uh, the guy we took, we traded up for <laughs> the top twenty, <laughs> bro. He would only come on the field when they did max protection plays. Like you would hear them say, "Whatever his number is eligible," and I'm like, "That's Broderick Jones." <laughs> they spent a first round pick on this guy. <laughs> Yeah, I totally forgot about him until I was like previewing the Steelers last week. I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, they have a first round tackle just in the reserves." Yeah, just chilling. So I, I thought it was an encouraging game by Chavon. Again, 
he he didn't go crazy or anything like that. But I thought it was an encouraging game. Josh Allen, price going up, man. <laughs> he he he's had nine sacks through eight games. I'd be shocked if he didn't hit fifteen sacks. Same. Which was set the franchise record. I I almost feel like it's like more likely that he has more sacks in the second half of the season than less sacks. Like, I feel like he's going to get like clo- be closer to 20 than 15. <laughs> like, especially uh, if, like, we'll get to a little bit of trade deadline talk in a little bit, but like, hypothetically, if the Jags do add a pass rusher, even if it's like, like, even if it's a Carl Lawson from the Jets, like, hypothetically, having another guy in there plus like Smoot getting a little bit like healthier and better every week. Uh, like, you should only get better, I think. Yeah, 100%. And it's a good time to talk about Josh Allen. Earlier this morning, Vashon Gary with the Packers signed a four-year, $107 million uh, contract extension. I'm not sure what the guaranteed money on, on that is. I haven't seen it out there yet. I would assume it's – let me see if I can find it real quick. But overall, you know, my point is that, you know, Rashawn Gary, who, who a really good player, you know, not, not take anything away from him, obviously, but – Let's see. He's a hundred dollar guy. I think you have to make Josh Allen the the Jaguars first ever hundred million dollar player. I I I I just think that when you look at the landscape of the edge rusher market, so before Rashawn Gary, there were only seven edge rushers who were a hundred million dollar players. Now mm-hmm. there's eight. Do you consider Josh Allen like a top ten edge? Yes. And like, like, I think he's in like, before the season, I would have said like, maybe like the 10 to 15 range. Now I'm thinking like the five to 10 range. Yeah. Uh, but like, even if he was like in the 10 to 15 range currently, like the way the contracts work is like, you still pay him like closer to like a top five to 10 guy because like the contract lasts several years. And so like, you're going to need him to be like a highly paid player for like most of the duration of the contract, not just like the first year. So like, I like. I think it's like a no-brainer that like he deserves and should get a hundred million dollar contract. Yeah. So like, Von Miller has a hundred twenty million dollar contract, fifty-one million guaranteed. T.J. Watt got eighty million guaranteed. Bradley Chubb got fifty-three million guaranteed. Max Crosby got fifty-three million guaranteed. Harold Landry got fifty-two million guaranteed. I would think like, Bosa got one hundred twenty-two million guaranteed. <laughs> so. <laughs> The eight $100 million pass rushers are Nick Bosa, Khalil Mack, because it's 2017, I guess, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, Vaughn Miller, TJ Watt, Bradley Chubb got in there somehow, and now we're showing Gary. They trade for him, so they kind of had to give him a bag. Didn't have to give him that one. <laughs> I guess they felt like it. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, I, I think Allen's better than, obviously, uh, Khalil Mack. Joey Bosa, Bradley Chubb, and Rashawn Gary. Because the thing with Allen is obviously the sack numbers are there, but he's a three-down player too. Like right. he, he's terrific against the run, consistent pressure numbers. I know people are going to say he's only balling out in the contract year, but his pressure numbers have been consistent year to year other than the one year in 2020 where he like barely played. So I think you look at the Rashawn Gary contract – 
give him a little bit more than that, and that's your framework. Like I, I think it'd be irresponsible for them not to have him on. Like to me, he has to be the Evan Ingram of this offseason. Where like last year, mm. like Ingram, like he literally wasn't even thought to be a free agent, basically, even though his contract was expiring because they knew that he was going to be on the team either way. You know, yeah. franchise tag, new contract, whatever, he would be on the team. They didn't say that about Jawan or Arden Key, obviously. They're not on the team anymore. I think Josh Allen has to be that guy this year. It, it doesn't matter what you do, but out of all the people who are coming up, you keep him on the team. And even with the idea of you have Cisco and Tyson and Etienne and Trevor and Walker Little and yada, yada, yada coming up, I think Josh Allen's more important than any of those guys not named Trevor. I was trying to think, like, Best like Jaguar not named Trevor since Jalen Ramsey. Like I'm trying to think of like where he ranks like just in the past like 10 to 15 years of like Jaguars in terms of like his talent or his value. But like I mean he definitely should be the first hundred million dollar Jaguar. Like I, I think the question isn't like should he get a hundred million dollars in his contract? I think the question is like should he get a hundred million guaranteed in his contract? Because like Ooh. you just said there's seven or eight players who are making over a hundred million, but like the three guys who are, got over a hundred or a hundred million guaranteed or more are the Bosa brothers and Miles Garrett, and like, I, I feel like you would take a TJ Watt deal, eighty billion guaranteed. I think like, yeah, yeah, I think like eighty is probably the floor, or like yeah. maybe some, um, five and, is probably the floor. And coming into the season, I thought like an Alex Highsmith contract was just like was like the starting point, like. Four yeah. years, sixty-four million, and like low in guarantees, but the the price has gone up, man. The the price has gone up, and I'm with you. Best, I, I agree with you. Best Jaguar not named Trevor since you know whoever you whoever you want to say, both on the field impact, off the field impact. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter the captain thing. Like I've been asked about it, I don't know the answer to why he wasn't voted one. It literally doesn't matter. Have somebody who's been in that locker room. I don't know anybody other than maybe Foyer who commands the respect of Josh Allen. But they know he's the dude. They, they know he's the dude. So, <laughs> Everyone knows that at this point. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like we, we pretty much hit everything on defense. Like Good defense against a really bad offense. They dominated. I, I Andrew Wingard grabbing the terrible towel. <laughs> And parading around with it was one of the funniest things in franchise history. It, it was significantly funnier because it was Andrew Winger who did it. I, I gained a lot of respect for doing this the past two weeks because, like, he's been, like, he's played, like, genuinely pretty solid ball, like, in place of Andre Sisko. Like, I get that the George Pickens touchdown was pretty ugly, but, like, yeah. like, Sisko has basically been out since, like, the second half of the Saints game. And, like, Dewey has put together, like, three really solid halves of football. And then, like, <laughs> the off the field, like just off the field, like stealing someone's terrible towel and running. Yeah. Running so at, at first, I was like, "Did they get it from their own sideline? Like, did the Jaguars just have those?" And then I saw no. So before the touchdown, this I did this a lot yesterday, dude. I I tweeted that Wingard was having a really good game, and then like five minutes later, the touchdown happened. I, <laughs> God, I, I hate myself. <laughs> But, the new house. <laughs> yeah, right. But before that, like he had a incredible tackle against 
I want to say it was Deontay Johnson on the perimeter. Well, I've yeah, never seen flew in from nowhere. I've never seen him move that fast. Yeah. And he, then he had a really and then a really good pass breakup earlier, like later in the game. Similar thing. Exploded downhill. He's playing the best football of his career. He's he's been like it's been fun, like uh, as a trade deadline is tomorrow to think of like potential like safeties. Like obviously there's a decent amount of Buda Baker talk in like April, I think that was before the draft, and then like like Jeremy Chin could be like a cool pickup for a team that like buys low on him, even though he is hurt. But like Jaguars like do not need a safety, uh, so like it's nice that like even though they've dealt with a handful of like injuries across different like position groups like safety is one of many that like the Jags I think can like feel pretty solid about thanks to like a performance they've gotten from backup um my last note on the defense is just that the Jags are currently fourth in expected points added per play allowed behind the Browns Ravens and Cowboys and they're in front of the Chiefs like I'm just waiting for national media to pick it up and like be start getting my call those flowers because I know we have for a while. Does that take yesterday's games into account? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, honestly, it's going to happen because all of the metrics that are actually useful aren't the metrics that, like, NFL game day or whatever, the, good morning football, whatever the hell that show is called, use. Like, yeah. like even yesterday, uh, uh graphic came up when Caldwell was on the screen. It was like Jaguars defensive ranks. And it was like rushing fourth defense, 29th overall 26. And you know, that's what the national people see like that. Yeah. George Pickens was asked to ask that question. And like the Jag, like the Jaguars have been the worst pass defense the last three weeks. Like people just look at total yardage and stuff. Right. It's all super noisy. They they've been one of the best defenses in the NFL this year. And what they've improved that is, I think even last year they struggled at times against bad quarterbacks. Like they didn't take advantage of the like drawing a bad quarterback. Like Russell Wilson not didn't until late in the year, I would say. Like yeah. late in the year when they went on the stretch, like then they were taking care of business against like bad quarterbacks. Like they had like back to back games against the Jets and the Texans. But yeah, like Carlos definitely like gotten progressively better. Yeah, like now like they have have you seen the E T tweet where it was like I guarantee you if me and my friends found E.T., we would have beat him with a hammer or something like that. <laughs> uh, that, that to me is actually, yeah. That to me is Mike Caldwell with bad quarterbacks right now. Like he, mm. he just hitting him over the head with a hammer every game. So I, I definitely think Mike Caldwell deserves his flowers. And I feel like we're saying that every week now. Yeah. I, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what it takes. But just like the fact that like the Jags are like ranked up there with like the top defenses that like everyone in, the country like whether you're a fan or uh analyst like you know that like the Niners and the Chiefs and the Cowboys and the Ravens have like awesome defenses in the Browns uh but like the Jags are right there and deservedly so and the Jaguars like obviously you know what you said it's like season long over the last couple of weeks I'd say the Jaguars defense has been better than the Niners and Browns the 49ers defense hasn't been very good the last two weeks yeah 49ers is like I was looking forward to this week 10 matchup like for a year since the schedule came out. And now it's like, I'm sure it still will be a good matchup in week 10 after the bye, but it's like, Niners are looking a little rough on both sides of the ball the past two weeks. Put Sam Darnold in. Yes. It's time. Agreed. I'm with you. It's time. All right. You got anything else on defense, my friend? No. 
Okay. All right. We'll be right back after this break. All right, guys. Real quick. Game balls. You have to give a special teams one. You have to. I know, I know, I know, I know. I've been prepared the last two weeks. This week and last week. I, you I were not prepared to give a special teams game ball last week. Yeah, I was. No, you were not. Yeah, I get to... Jacob Harris again? No. Okay, let's hear it. I feel like it. Okay, well, okay. Special teams this week. Brian McManus nailing a couple of long field goals. Like The leg. He's been so, so good. Like, like he had like the two misses in the Houston game. One of them was his fault. One of them was a blocked kick. Maybe you could pin the pin the block on him too if you really wanted to. But like, other than those two misses, he's been like lights out, knockout perfect. Uh, he, he, just exactly what the Jags I'm sure were like envisioning when they signed him and dropped Matthew Wright, and like exactly what you and I thought that they were gonna get. Uh, it's killing me that you just called Riley Patterson. I know. I know. I, <laughs> I, I was same picture. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, Manis is not the same picture. He's he's legit. He's made more 50-yard field goals this year than the Jaguars attempted last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's week that's, eight. That's two ways <laughs> yeah, like, they, they, the Jaguars literally did not trust Riley Patterson to make kicks of any distance last year. And it's very clear now that they have a kicker they trust. And in games like this one, like sloppy – Defensive games and bad weather that he that is just such a valuable. He, he's the best offseason addition right now, which I know they didn't, they didn't really add many people, but one of the sneaky best additions in the AFC, I'd say. I was thinking the same thing. Like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't like go back in a time machine and if I had to pick between Ridley and McManus, pick McManus over Ridley because, like, <laughs> <laughs> So are are you saying like if you can only have one on the team? Right. In terms of like yeah. who was like the best offseason addition for the draft. Uh, okay. I, I would I still choose Ridley because like even if like he hasn't been like as spectacular as a lot of us were like hoping or assuming he would be, like he's still making like an impact. Like we talked about so much last week about how like defenses are shifting coverages over to that side and then that'll open up space for other players. But like McManus like the point is, he he does have a case for like best offseason acquisition. Did Did you notice the Jaguars only threw the ball to two different receivers yesterday? No, I didn't. The Jaguars only had five did players target. The Jaguars only had five players get targeted. Ingram had ten targets. Yeah. Ridley had ten. Etienne had six. Kirk had five, and Luke Farrell had one. So mm. that, that other receiver spot, dudes are just getting cardio at the, at the moment. Hey, I'm excited to see on Phil. I was going to say this earlier, just like how the Jaguars were able to like be so successful on third downs and then like deep passing. Cause like, like we said earlier, like Lawrence had such a good game besides the ugly red zone interception. So like, I, I, I couldn't really see a lot of like what press Taylor was doing, uh, watching on my phone through rural Georgia. So I'm excited to yeah. get into the scheme, get into the scheme mailbag this week. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, offense. I'm going with Trevor Lawrence. Like yeah. stupid, stupid interception. Regardless, and it was stupid. Like I'm a Trevor guy. I think Trevor is an elite quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. It's. I'm not going to use the analogy I just had in my head. Actually, it's probably, <laughs> probably not for the best. I, I, I think Trevor's awesome. 
I, I, I just do. I, I don't criticize him very often because I don't think he does many things deserving of criticism. Mm-hmm. Worst throw of his life, maybe worst throw of my life. <laughs> but otherwise, I thought he was lights out. Yeah, he was. He, he definitely gets my game ball too. I, just to reiterate, nine for nine on third downs. I had five completions of over 25 yards. And like he was already like a really efficient passer on deep throws, like going into this week. Uh, he just like didn't really have crazy volume on deep passes. So it was cool to see like the volume catch up with his efficiency a little bit. Yeah. So I'm, we're definitely on the same page there. Okay. Defensive game ball? I got to go with Andrew Wingard. Okay. Is it is it Wingard? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> you're you're oh. my pronunciation guy. I feel like I'm butchering it because I like. I I'm know. your pronunciation guy? Yeah, my pronunciation guy. For Me? Last- I mean, I was saying Daniel Hunter before you corrected me. Okay, yeah, I can pronounce standard names, but okay, I think otherwise Wingard technically, not Wingard. Either way, Dewey 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 gets my game ball for defense because, like, like same thing I said earlier. We're like, yeah, the Pickens touchdown was a little ugly, but he's performed really admirable, really admirably for Andre Cisco, who was like playing like a Pro Bowler before, so. Do we stepped up big time? I'm going with Darius Williams. Mm. At George Pickens, Deontay Johnson's a good wide receiver duo. Like I, I know they don't have an NFL quarterback on their roster, but that's a good receiver duo. And he had another lights out game. I, 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 I'm, I keep waiting for his like hot streak to end. Mm-hmm. But it's just not, dude. No, it's just not. He's so good. Like. We talked about a little, a little bit after the Saints game of like obviously a lot of eyes around Monteric Brown and how he's going to do as like a starting cornerback, but also like it's a big test for Darius Williams to like move from cornerback two to quarterback one, and he's like passed the test with flying colors each of the past two weeks. He he's obviously had a Pro Bowl level season, and I prefaced this in my observations post on the site yesterday. I'm not sure if he even gets Pro Bowl recognition just because, like, the Jaguars just historically don't really get that recognition. Like, Fred Taylor made, like, one Pro Bowl in his career, I think. Like, he's, Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think. Wow, I'll, I'll double, double check, yeah. So, like, even when they're winning, they don't get the national recognition they deserve, and I don't think Darius is, like, a household name enough. But he should, one, be a lock for the Pro Bowl, and two, he should be getting all Pro votes. Yeah, Fred Taylor in 2007, Pro Bowl and second-team All-Pro. And the Jags did make the postseason that year, so I think, like, them winning the division would help out a lot. But that's He didn't make a Pro Bowl until 2007. That's insane, dude. That wasn't even – obviously, he was very good that year, but, like, the crazy peak of his career was, like, those first couple of years. Man, I don't get the world anymore. All right, before we're out of here, guys, mm-hmm. there's no trade deadline. All right, yeah, let's do it. It's coming tomorrow. I I am of the opinion that I believe that the Jaguars have been calling around on pass rushers, but I'm of the opinion that Daniil Hunter will not happen. Chase Young will not happen. I don't believe they have much interest in Montez Sweat. I think 
the guys who make the most sense in terms of what the Jaguars would want to give up and what they would want their world to be are Josh Uche and Carl Lawson. And like Uche, it, it's crazy how good of a fit he is. Like the Jaguars, they're elite. They're an elite run defense. All they need is like another fastball pass rusher across from Josh Allen that can let Trayvon move around some. Josh Uche doesn't play to run at all. He's literally only a third down player. And like I've seen people like say the Patriots are like ask for a third for him. Like, no, it's the NFL, dude. Like Chase Young might go for a second. You're not getting a like a literally a third down only player for a third round pick. You know, that just doesn't happen in the NFL. He only plays third downs. He's a perfect complement for Trayvon Walker. He's exactly what the defense needs. There's literally isn't a single argument to make against and even if you are renting him for the rest of the season because he's in the contract year, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and let him walk. Get a comp pick for it. That's what yeah. smart teams do. They yeah. do it every year. That's what the Ravens do every year. I'm I'm totally with you. Like, well, first of all, the Chase Young and Daniel Hunter. Do you think those are unlikely from like a Jaguars perspective or from both teams' perspectives? Only because, like, I'm mostly asking about Daniel Hunter because, like, Kirk Cousins just tore his Achilles. So, like, I don't know if, like, how much that actually changes Minnesota's trade plans. I, I think the Jaguars are willing to date the idea of Chase Young and Daniel Hunter, but I'm not trying to marry it. Like, I, I think they'll entertain it, but I don't right. think they would actually I, – I don't think they want to bring in a, a, a starter. If that makes sense, I I I just don't think they want to. I I I don't think they want to rock the boat like that. We've said it before that the number one job of a GM is to sell himself to the owner. You can do that with Uche pretty easily. With Young and Hunter, that's a little tougher. Plus, you'd have to like to make the trade worth it. You'd have to pay them after this year, pay a significant amount, and then things get tricky, obviously. Like, you can't, in my opinion, you can't trade for them and pay for them right then and there because, like, that's just a fact of, like, NFL locker rooms. Like, if I'm, like, in that locker room and I see the Jaguars bring in a guy and pay him before he's ever played it down for them before paying Josh Allen, that would piss me off. So, I, yeah. I don't, I, I don't good, think that happens. That's a good point. Probably, like, the best point that's been made on the podcast today, honestly. It's just that, like, that kind of stuff matters in a locker room like so much more than like a lot of fans realize, like certainly more than I realized like up until like a year or two ago. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. Uh, Uche just makes so much sense. Like in terms of like the role, like what he's good at, he's like, I think he was like second in pressure rate among all edge defenders last year, according to PFF. And like, yeah, it's like, it's kind of like the Bryce, Bryce Huff thing for the jets, like where he has like a crazy like pressure rate. And, like, part of that is because, like, he's really only playing on third downs, and so, like, that's going to help out the numbers a little bit. But, like, the film, uh, if you go, like, to Nate Tice's Twitter and then, like, type in Uche in the search, then that's a good way to spend five minutes of your day because he's got some really nice stuff on film. It's not not that he just has some cool numbers from PFF. Uh, I saw a Jets writer call Bryce Hub a top five pass rusher in the NFL right now. Like what? What are these ESPN win rates doing to people, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, I, I'm with you. Like, I just think the only guy they would bring in is a situational guy. 
like Carl Lawson would be like Kmart Josuche, I guess. Like he's I, I don't I still don't think Carl Lawson's a bad player. Like he he had decent pressure numbers and win rate numbers last year. Yeah, he, I thought he was like surprisingly solid last year coming off the Achilles tear. At the very least should be on the field, but again, GMs or it's more almost more politicians than team builders. Yeah. Joe Douglas spent first round picks on Jermaine Johnson and Will McDonald. He can't play Carl Lawson over them. You know, like it it's just a fact of fact of life. So are there any positions other than edge rusher that you could see the Jaguars maybe dipping their toes in the water and at least exploring? I, I got two. But I, I want to hear from you first what you think. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that like Edge is obviously the big one for defense. And then for offense, um, like, I guess I was thinking, like, three. Like, like to, like, uh, these would all be, like, send a day one, day three pick for, like, some depth guy at running back. But we already kind of, like, went over how it's probably more likely that they just move up Dearness than actually, like, acquire someone. Um, and then wide receiver and offensive line. But th- those are, like, a little bit tough because they're getting back Walker Little and Zay Jones from injuries. And so, like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they feel like they need additional reinforcements in addition to those two guys returning. But, like, interior offensive line and then, like, a big-bodied receiver would be, like, the two guys I'll be looking to add at the deadline for cheap. Yeah, I, I, I think interior offensive line for sure. I think the sneaky one, and I don't think they make a move for one, but I do think that you could see maybe reports being out there that they're interested. Maybe corner. I just like I, I know Monteric has been fine, but I don't think that they're confident in their cornerback depth, at least entering, you know, this big stretch. You know, like I, I don't think they want to keep calling up Devon Campbell. Mm-hmm. I Greg Jr. was out though, so that like I was kind of thinking something almost similar, whereas like obviously Gregory Jr. isn't as good as Walker Little or Zay Jones right now, but like they clearly like just based on like Mike Caldwell and the rest of the coaches comments on him, like uh, from this past off season and training camp and stuff, they like, it seems like he's the cornerback number four. So I didn't know if like, if he's coming back, if they also wanted additional yeah. reinforcements with him, but like, yeah, like, I mean, I feel like I've been saying like corner is like their biggest need since two years ago. And like Darius Williams is definitely like Darius Williams and, and Trey Herndon have both like silenced that a ton, but That's like, right. Yeah, corner is still up there. I think that's fair. Give me – let's lock it in. Give me a prediction. Do they make a trade by 4 p.m. tomorrow? I was going to ask you earlier, how did, how did Smoot look? Because we went, went over Trayvon and Josh. I like I, I saw that he was in the backfield once or twice, but, like, do you think it was, like, a, a step in the right direction from the New Orleans game or it was, like, a little bit – he, he was more disruptive, and I would imagine you see him get better as the year goes on, as he gets more comfortable. But he wasn't disruptive enough that if I'm in the front office, I'm like, okay, we're set. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like to me, it's just so simple. Like, trade for a guy, give him smooth snaps, and give smooth chase on snaps. Yeah, yeah. Profit. <laughs> I'm with that. I, th- I think – my official prediction is that they're going to trade for Carl Lawson because I think, like, Uche would be, like, the dream, even though he'd only cost, like, a fourth or fifth round pick or something like that. But I don't know. I, I, like, I feel like it would be, like, inexplicable for, like, the Jaguars to not 
trade at least like a conditional seventh round pick for Carl Lawson or like, I don't know. I feel like like Justin Houston is a name I've seen floating around, which like, I don't know if like Carolina is actually going to trade him. I think a lot of people are just saying like, Oh, look, here's like an old productive edge. Who's on an expiring contract, but like, so not Justin Houston, but like someone like Justin Houston, I guess, if you can find something like that. Getting a draft pick for Justin Houston 2023 would be a pretty good pick. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so I'm saying, like, a conditional seventh, I feel like, for, like, yeah. Houston. No, I, like, Carl Lawson, like, I feel like – have you seen Semi-Pro with Will Ferrell? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they trade, like, the washing machine for Woody Harrelson's <laughs> character. Like, I feel like the Jets would do that, dude. Like, they're literally not using him. Trade him Trade him the mascot head. Like, dude, dude. I think uh, – I think- there was like a story about like Kyle Korver, how like he got traded for cash on like draft night in the NBA, and the team that like acquired the cash like used it on like a new fax machine. So like, <laughs> Kyle Korver was basically traded on like the night of his like NBA draft for a fax machine. So that's foul. That's foul. So, <laughs> my gut prediction right now is they're interested. They make phone calls, but no move is made. Yeah, that's 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 my that's my guts telling me right now. I, and I, I listen to him. I listen to the guy. He rarely steers me wrong. I'm kidding. I'm wrong all the time. But <laughs> I had somebody ask me yesterday. They were like, uh, I hope you've been keeping bookmarks to dunk on people who were worried after week three. And I replied and said, my podcast episode was to, after that game was titled Houston. We have a problem. So yet again, I am people. I mean, like. That Houston game was ugly on for every like unit defense, offense, special teams. Like everyone had a right to panic. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. So, Gus, you got anything else for me, my friend? I'll throw out two, uh, two more names to like look out for. Like a like they uh, round seven pick for a no name edge. Uh, Atlanta's D'Angelo Malone. He was drafted in this third or fourth round last year, but he's like kind of like a small edge and like doesn't really fit Atlanta's like new thing about how they like have Kawhi's Campbell lining up at edge and like just all these massive bodies. So like maybe he could use like a fresh start somewhere else and he could be like that kind of fastball that they're looking for. And then Daryl Taylor from Seattle, because like apparently they're looking to add an edge, but he's like a guy that could be like on the way out if they have someone on the way in. Uh he had a also, good game I, yesterday. The, one more name is Derek Barnett, who had, like, a little bit of smoke because he requested a trade from Philadelphia, which, like, I was totally, like, off him until I saw that Breer wrote a couple days ago. He said, my understanding is the Eagles are open to deal edge rusher Derek Barnett. And so, like, just, like, the fact that, like, his name popped up again, I was like, okay, I'll, like, I'll, I'll mention it. Real quick, I'm going to see if he has as many pressures as Chase on this year. <laughs> Jason, who by the way had as many quarterback hits as TJ Watt yesterday. Oh, there you go. I'm I'm I missed that one. You you missed his uh, quarterback hit. Mm-hmm. All right, Derek Barnett in 52 pass rush snaps this year, not counting yesterday, has as many pressures as you and I do. Okay, so Seattle and Daryl D'Angelo Malone are two like under the radar names to just like keep an eye on in the next twenty-four hours. <laughs> I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. 
I, I thought he was like an okay player. Like I, no, I just like, hadn't done a checkup on him like in the last six he's, months, but he's terrible. I guess I guess I just got I got got by the ESPN pass rush win rates because he he probably had like a good pressure rate like for one season just because of the defensive line he plays on. Yeah, like it. He used to get a ton of snaps and he would get pressures. It seems like seemingly because of that, but that's. That's where I stand. I I think like I'm with you. I, I think like they have 10 picks in next year's draft as of right now. I know picks second, third, and fourth round are technically tied up to the Calvin Ridley thing right now, but I, I think one you can get creative, send a conditional pick and a future pick, whatever you want. But I think they're in a position right now where you should be willing to part with some of these late round picks for a guy who can even a rental. Yeah. They've got uh, an extra fourth from the Saints by trading down in the most recent draft. And then they've got a six from the Panthers for the LaVisca Chenault trade. So, yeah, I'm totally with you. Like, obviously, the A2 picks are a little bit bottled – or the second, third, and fourth round picks for Jacksonville in 2024 are, like, untradeable right now because of Calvin Ridley. But they still got, like, enough other assets. It's not like that's their only draft capital. Yeah. So, real quick, let me double-check that because I've seen, like – conflicting things okay so yeah so yeah they do they do technically own two fourth round picks so send, send the same fourth round pick for uche like yesterday <laughs> I, I i i don't know this is why i'm not a gm i, I would have done that like four weeks ago <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the gms love fourth round picks i'm just like man have it. <laughs> Take two of these and call me in the morning. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anything else for us, Gus? No. My my hot take this week was going to be that the Jags aren't going to lose. Aren't going to lose another. They won't lose another regular season game. But then I looked at their. Then I looked at their schedule, and it's a little bit tough. They've got like Browns, Bengals, Niners, Ravens. Two games against the Titans, who are like not good this year, but. You, the Titans play them tough, and then like at Houston, uh, it's it's not a crazy difficult schedule, but it's not an easy schedule too. Uh, uh, I was going to say you accidentally included the Browns in there as a team that's they suck. That's true. They suck. I guess I was just yeah thinking too much the first month in Miles Garrett, not month, not Jim, as a- Jim Swartz has fallen. The G, Gino dissected him. I mean, Gino's a top eight quarterback per both of us. So, Gino's good. I forget where you ranked him, but Gino's good. Do you follow C Mike Spin Move on Twitter, Griff? No, I I know who you're talking about, but I don't follow him. The funniest account in the world. It's literally (laughs) him every day just going to war for for Gino Smith against the haters because he was one because. I don't know if anybody's ever been as vindicated. Like when Russ got traded, he was being like, Russ isn't good anymore. Gino's better. And when like people wanted Drew Locke to start, he was like, no, Gino's actually good. And then Gino has a good year and Russ doesn't. And he, as a, as he should, was able to show his ass. <laughs> Chris is a good guy. I highly recommend you following. All right. Got I'll, anything else? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revise my take. And instead of it being that they're not going to lose another game in the regular season, I'll say they're going to finish with the number two seed in the AFC. I think, 
I mean, the Chiefs just had an embarrassing loss against the Broncos, but I still uh, think the Chiefs are going to figure it out and get uh, the one seed because it's the Chiefs. But like, I, I think Chiefs one seed, Jags two seed in the AFC is my prediction right now. So not to spoil anything that SI coming, has coming down the pipeline, but we got something coming up with bold second half predictions for each team. Check out mine for the Jags when it comes out. It, it involves some seedage. Oh, some seedage. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, not, I think Jags are going to push for that top seed. I, I, I really do. I, I agree. It's just that, like, A, they lost a tiebreaker against the Chiefs, assuming that, like, it's between them and the Chiefs. And then, like, like Doug Peterson said a couple weeks ago about, like, how important it is to, like, peak at the right time. I feel like he's kind of, like, learned from Andy, like, how to, like, get his team going, like, halfway through the season and, like, really get in a groove by the end of the year. And so, like, I just, like, the Chiefs have are I mean, again, they got beat by the Broncos, and that looked ugly. But before that, like, they had the top five offense and defense, and usually Spags only comes out to play in the postseason. So That's fair. That's fair. You're not factoring in that Patrick Mahomes will be suspended for a week for murdering Sky Moore at some point. You didn't see the Sky Moore drop touchdown at the end of the game, did you? No, I did not. It was brutal. And Pat Mahomes, he was like, <laughs> it was it was brutal. It, it was, Sky Moore is not long for that team. So mm-hmm. that was a correct draft take, by the way. <clears throat> You mean the guy with the catch radius of a sixth grader isn't good in the NFL? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we were all surprised when he was like, it, it was like, ooh, Sky Moore, like enticing fourth rider. Someone got him in the second, huh? But then it was yeah. like, oh, it's the Chiefs. Like, they're, they're going to know what to do. Like, that's a good yeah. pick. Yeah. So, no, it, yeah. All right. That's that's all I got. You got anything else for us before we head out? This no. is one, one of our longer episodes. Hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, it's a good podcast. We'll, we'll, We'll con- reconvene again in a couple of days and break down the trades that the Jags didn't make. I was going to say, <laughs> yes, glad to have you back. I don't know if you listened to the last episode, but I announced your demise in the first 30 seconds of it and said you were no longer with us after saying I was people for the Calvin Ridley comments. So I'm glad I'm glad you came back. I'm glad you're here to stay. Good yeah. to do without you, buddy. All right. Jo- from John, John Shipley. Gus Logue, thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back probably in a few days, like Gus said, to talk about the trades that the Jaguars didn't make. Maybe just throw out some hot takes about the uh, trade deadline in general. I don't know. It, 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 the bye week is the weirdest week of the year for content, so we'll, we'll yeah. see. I mean, that's like that's like I feel like where we need to like pull out the hottest of takes, though. So I think I think we'll still have some good content. Oh, I got some stockpile. <laughs> yeah. They're cooking. They're in, they're in a slow cooker right now, but. <laughs> Somebody's cooking here. All right. Till next time. Uh, Till next time.